Hello and welcome to the Wicked Ones podcast. This is Jen. And this is Tara. And today we are going to hear our final neighbor story from you, Tara. Yeah, yeah, you are. I'm yeah. excited. And thank you so much on all this hard work you're doing for our editing. I... <laughs> Shoot, you gotta tell people I'm editing. I was hoping to blame that on somebody else because... Yes. So when you see Tara's picture <laughs> on our website, it's going to have like seven different titles that she does underneath, and editing is one. She has my support of like hand claps and wine, Oh man. <laughs> but I, I don't, honestly don't understand. I really am not a professional editor, and I have to say that we have super mics somehow. Oh my god, super mics. Super mics. I can't... They whisper probably sounds deafening. Oh yeah, you can hear everything. Like right now, I think the kids are trying to shut the door like five rooms away and, and you can, can hear, hear it in the background. See? You can hear it in the oh background. They're so far away and they probably <laughs> sound like elephants right now, so I apologize because we do have children and we can't make them go away. <laughs> <I've> <laughs> as tried. hard as we try. I've tried. Oh, but speaking of editing, I just feel like we missed that portion of technology in our youth you know like I feel we missed all that so we were right on the back end Uh, we just missed that like cutting edge mm -hmm. learning curve but you're doing a great job it's not as easy as Google told us a year ago I know Google's (laughs) a liar they They said anyone could have a podcast we thought we were anyone (laughs) (laughs) yeah you just need your phone and an app and a toothpick and junior mint. And you're good to you're go. Good to go. One year later, here we are. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. We've enjoyed. It's been fun and it's been a growing experience and we promise we'll get better. Yeah. We're, we'll get there. But so, what do you have for me today? Tell me so about neighbors. So, today, I have another kind of different neighbor story you know me I like to kind of go take take the the title of uh not the title but the uh the theme that we're going with and kind of just twist it around a little bit make (laughs) it your own make it my own um so today I'm actually going to tell you about the boy next door killer also known as the Hollywood River I don't know if you've heard of this have you yeah a little bit yeah a little not enough I'm excited to hear in more detail because I just heard whatever mainstream media you probably just remember the it's and bits like I did I really didn't know much about it at all I couldn't yeah. remember I couldn't remember anything um but before I get started I do want to credit wikipedia 48 hours nbc los angeles cbs chicago and oxygen.com for um all of the information that I will be sharing with you today uh so you may remember back in 2001 when Ash after Ashton Kutcher was in the media for a time because a young woman who he was set to go on a date with, uh, this woman was 22-year-old Ashley Ellerin, was brutally, and I mean brutally murdered, nearly decapitated and stabbed over 47 times in her Hollywood home. It was awful. So I do remember that. Mm-hmm. I do remember the bits and pieces of uh, the news on that. Um, I, I just find it unfortunate because because of who he was, and I'm sure he finds it just as unfortunate as everyone else, the media was all over the case, and poor Ashley was often referred to as Ashton's girlfriend or love interest, and not by her actual name. And I, and I honestly, mm-hmm. if I remember my notes as well as I should, I believe that was actually only their first date, so it's not. Yeah, like actually, and I think I actually, one of the first times I heard about this was like, 
like Hollywood Access mm-hmm, or like totally. inter- ETV, TMZ or something, something crazy. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said I just heard mainstream media. Yeah. And it was Ashton's. Yeah. So that's girlfriend. that's how I think a lot of people Ashton's know of this. Former girlfriend. Yeah, former girlfriend. So sad that that's probably all that most people remember. So maybe there's a lot of people out there that will be getting some good information today on what actually this story is about and what you know what happened. Um, so yeah, I remembered a little bit. I would have been a sophomore. Uh, I played volleyball at SIU and I was always trying to catch up from being gone. We traveled a lot. So I was constantly studying and making up tests and things. I didn't have time for TV or anything else really for that matter. So I, anything that happened besides 9-11, I knew nothing about Mm -hmm. in those four years. So, but I do remember people talking about it. So as I started digging, um, I really found there was a lot to learn about this story. Um, and the reason that I chose it as our neighbor story for this month is because uh, Michael Thomas Gargiulio, the serial killer that we're going to discuss, is what is known as a comfort killer. I'm not sure if you've heard of that term before. He chose his victims within um, his surrounding neighborhood, didn't have to travel far to commit his crime, so he always picked people within his comfort zone so hence the comfort killer um kind of w- how they talk about those those serial killers yeah. or those killers who's in his bubble mm-hmm. yeah that's a good way to say it so all the all of the women that he attacked three were murdered one survived but all of them lived within very close proximity to where he happened to live at the time so i'm gonna tell you the story but it doesn't start with ashley's horrific slaying in February 2001. It actually starts way back in 1993 when Michael was only 17 years old. He lived right around the corner from a super sweet, warm, loving family not far from here actually in Glenview, Illinois, a northwest suburb of Chicago for those of you who aren't from the area. The Picachios had known Michael since he was in the second grade. He was friends with Trisha's younger brother Doug and they all went to Glenbrook uh, South High School. The Picachios had the house that so many of the neighbors hung out with. You know, they were the ones that fed the neighborhood, as Diane, Diana would actually stay on 48 hours. And we know that. I mean, that's kind of how our hood groups are, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, every weekend that we know the neighbors are going to be around, we make sure we get extra juice boxes and popsicles and snacks. And there's always 10 to 14 kids running through the yard at some point, right? Not mine, but yours. Well, yes. your old house, so yeah. you kind of know. I'm like, I know how that goes, but no, <laughs> we don't have that anymore. We have, a, we have a couple of kids that come and hang out, but yeah. definitely not at that level anymore. Thank God. Well, so I can, I mean, we can both picture it. We know exactly what that We know what it like. is to have hangouts, yes. Yeah, yeah, and all these kids running around, and, you know, my, my little guy is in second grade, so... I see, uh, I see it, you know, and I see all these kids growing up together, and, and it's just, I don't know, I'm excited to see them all grow up together, but this just kind of makes me think, oh, there's got to be at least one bad episode. Right? I wonder, you know, I wonder how everybody's going to turn out. off air on who it's going to be. Oh, I already have, I have my bets ready, I have my bets ready to go. <laughs> we need an official, I need money on the table. Alright, we'll have to talk about that later. <laughs> so, Trisha who I'm going to talk about, was described by friends as being energetic. And this was uh, Trisha Picaccio. If if you missed that, that's kind of where I was going with that. She was described by friends as being energetic and always happy. 
She made the most of high school. She was on the debate team and played clarinet in the band, and she was looking forward to attending Purdue University in Indiana that fall, which, growing up in Indiana myself, I can say at least 50% of my graduating class probably went to Purdue. I know most of my friends in my friend group went went there. So. I could imagine that. Mm-hmm. So on the night of August 13th, 19th, 1993... Trisha went out with friends for dinner and a scavenger hunt, one of her last get-togethers before heading off to college in a few weeks. She dropped off friends and headed home around 1 a.m. As she was walking up to her door, key in hand, Michael grabbed and twisted her left arm, breaking it, and then proceeded to stab her 12 times, leaving her for dead on her stoop. So he was obviously waiting for her. Mm -hmm. I mean, seemed like it was planned to me. Definitely premeditated. Um, I can't even imagine. What's the motive? Who knows? I don't... In all of the... In everything that I've read, I really... There's no motive I have in anything. no idea. Mm-mm. No. And I'm sure that's one of the hardest things. It's, it's almost one of those, like, stranger... Um, stranger violence, right. almost. You know, even though you they weren't strangers, if there's no motive, it's really hard. So... It was actually her dad who found her the next morning. Wait, were they still friends at this point? Uh, I think... So they grew up together, and just because you grew up together, you're not still friends. And I don't even know if so you So did she become a cool kid, and friends. he was awkward? And then maybe there was, like, resentment? Could be. So I, it sounded like he was friends with her brother somehow. And maybe it was just a loose term. You go to the same high school, you know each other, you live in the yeah, same neighborhood, so you're friends, mm-hmm. but you're, you don't hang out? I think I talk about it a little bit later, but not not that much. Um, it really didn't go into a whole lot of detail about the actual relationship there, but that's a good question. So it was her dad who found her the next morning. Uh, I watched the account on 48 Hours, and whew, you guys, I teared up on this one. I just, I can't even, a dad to find his daughter like that just breaks my heart. He said that when he saw her, I died right then and there. He had to call her mother to come home from work, and the officer on the scene said that he literally had to tackle her as she was running to Trisha so that she didn't have to see her daughter like that. It's just gut-wrenching. Just incredibly awful. Heartbreaking. To imagine what that family went through. It's just bad. Just so awful. So DNA was found at the scene under her nails, but unfortunately, at that time, 1993, Forensic science wasn't where it is today, nowhere near it, and so no one was charged with her murder. And you have to remember, you know, DNA needs to be in the national database to begin with in order to compare it with what's found at the crime scene, so there was nothing to compare it to anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, and just, you'll see. <laughs> well, CODIS wasn't a thing then. Yeah, no, it, re- it really wasn't. So they just didn't, I mean, but luckily back then they still kept all of these cold cases mm. and they kept the evidence. Thank God they did that. Right? Yeah. I mean, I can just imagine them being, well, it's, I mean... But I love it so much and people think they got away with something for 50 mm. years and I'm like, look here, motherfucker. Well, people <laughs> are just going down left and right. Yeah, they are. A lot of people in their 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. That's like the average age, they said, because mm-hmm. that's when their DNA was just starting to be stored, thinking that we're going to have something to use someday. And we do, and now they're all going down. Yeah. Keep watching over your shoulder. That has to be... They have to be sweating. <sighs> yeah. Just and a lot of them, like, they say when they come from, they just... Okay. Well, they're tired. I'm 
sure they're tired. They have to know that it's coming, so they're just like, okay. Every time you see a cop car go by, you think, oh, is today the day? Yeah. You know? So the police did investigate, obviously, and they spoke to friends and family and neighbors. It turned out Michael had driven Trisha to a friend's house only two days prior to that, and when he was questioned, he named another local teen the police should look at, and nothing ever came of it, and it just became a cold case. That was really the only mention of something like that, so I don't know that they were friends, but maybe... Just gave her a ride? Yeah, maybe just gave her a ride Mm because he knew her brother or she was at a party Mm -hmm. or... You know how that goes. I yeah. mean, that happens all the time. So the Picaccio started to get suspicious of Michael when he started coming by with gifts. So that's not a interesting... Right? Yeah. Obviously wasn't remorseful, but that's weird. It's weird. Five years after the murder, he showed up one day and he asked to speak to Rick, her father. Uh, since he was at work at the time, he waited at the kitchen table for nearly an hour for him to come home. When he did, right at that moment, Michael's father and sister came and picked him up, saying, we, we gotta go. And they knew his look, the odd way he'd been acting, and that he was probably the one responsible, and they just couldn't prove it. I mean, who... Her family thought that? Yeah. Yeah, they thought, this is really... This is really odd. He's acting strange. He's been dropping off gifts. Now he's waiting to talk to me. That's he was weird. probably ready to confess and to well, say... Well, as the mom, I would be like... Probably ask him to leave. Come back later. Don't hang out at my kitchen table yeah. for hours waiting for my husband to come home. Yeah, no, it's, it's really Very weird. It's really awkward. I mean, I can't imagine the awkwardness of that hour, but, right? Yeah, I, you know me. Oh, yeah, no, he would You would at your kitchen make table. him a cake and I would <laughs> get to step in. You're right. She was probably making him brownies. Oh, yeah. Talking away, asking him about how, how's everything going after mm-hmm. school. And I'm... No, no one's home. Come back later. Mm-hmm. No, you wouldn't you have even answered here. the door. No, you're right. <laughs> okay, so fast forward to the late 90s, and Gargiulio decides to leave Illinois and follow his brother to L.A. Since he's trained in martial, martial arts and boxing, he decides to get a job as a bouncer for Rainbow Bar and Grill on Sunset Boulevard in West Hollywood. And later on, two bouncers that he befriended during his time actually come forward. Um, Tamara Leary and Anthony DiLorenzo, hopefully I said those names correctly, they were fellow bouncers, and Anthony claims that one day when the three of them were driving around, Michael admitted to Trisha's murder. He said, you guys ever kill anybody? I have. Anthony tells 48 Hours, he said, yeah, I buried a bitch. I left the bitch on the steps for dead. And that, that was all he said, and of course, at the time... They had no idea. They had no idea. They knew he was a bit of a compulsive liar and exaggerated things, so they didn't believe him. They didn't notify the police until much later when he's arrested for the Hollywood murders. So Michael loses his job at the bar for punching one of the patrons. He ends up taking a job as an AC and heating repairman. So now in the fall of 2000, so a little while after this, he meets and befriends 22-year-old Ashley Ellerin. She lived only a few blocks away. She was young and pretty, and he starts coming around often. She was a dancer and a fashion student at LA's Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. She was remembered as being beautiful, fun, and spontaneous. It was also mentioned that she had a thing for young actors. I mean... Who wouldn't at 22 in Hollywood, right? I think that kind of goes along with <laughs> I was going to say, anybody that lives in L.A. and has a date with an actor is probably going to go on that date 
I would imagine. Yeah. So I guess she had dated Vin Diesel um, and was set to have her first date with Ashton the night of her death, unfortunately. Her roommate had warned her to be careful of this guy, Michael, but Ashley shrugged him off. She even invited him to a few parties. Again, something I probably would have done. I thought everybody was nice. I was friends with everyone. Everyone was a nice guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Let him sleep on the couch because his car broke down. Absolutely. Whatever you need, Mm -hmm. I will help you out. breakfast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, if I was ever in a situation with one of these people, I was just so nice and they I couldn't go out. through with it. I would just picture, and then I would come out and be like, "Who the fuck are you? Get out of here! Get off my couch! You're not here. No, you're you're not making him breakfast. Go!" And right? then we all get murdered. <laughs> yes, this is what would happen. <laughs> so, oh, but I mean, it's just I think a lot of us are like that, right? We just we think, okay, I say us loosely. I know that you always have your guard up, and that's amazing. I just feel like I at that age, I've feel that you feel that nothing bad can happen to you. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that and just I've always tried to see the best in everyone. I've always tried to... I am not seeing the best in any strange man. True. True story. (laughs) You're right. I don't have anything for that. (laughs) I'm not. But I do understand what you're saying because I think even in my early 20s, yeah. We hitchhiked. Oh, yeah. No, we did terrible yeah. things. We did not. We weren't smart either. So I I, no. I understand what you're saying. Naivety. She was probably like, oh, he's he's mm-hmm. harmless. He doesn't have any friends or, you know. Yeah. And he probably appeared harmless mm-hmm. and sweet and fixed her easy for free, probably, right? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Who knows? <sighs> so, unfortunately, on February 21st, 2001, the night of the Grammys, she was most likely getting ready for the after party that she was supposed to attend with Ashton when she was brutally attacked. Uh, The rage of this murder, I can't even wrap my head around it. So who knows what happened. I mean, nobody can can say for sure the accounts of what happened that night, but she was stabbed over 47 times, nearly decapitated. An officer on the scene, Detective Tom Small, said that one stab wound actually penetrated her head and took a chunk the size of a puzzle piece out of her skull. I have to be really tired after that. Like, that's a serious... Yeah. I don't want to call it a workout, but you have to exert some serious force to harm someone like that. I didn't even think of that. But he was probably in such a state of rage that he... Which, but why? Yeah. Right? So maybe he thought Did she let him in? I don't remember. It didn't say. If he broke in or if she let him in. It's, I don't think it said. Maybe he was mad because she was getting ready to go on a date with someone with else. With somebody else. And and he thought that they were going, like, they're... In his mind, they were together. Yeah. Who knows, right? right. Or even he thought that they were going to get together because mm-hmm. she was being nice to him and he thought she was leading him on. And Yeah. Who knows? Some of the that's things a that lot go on. Of, I mean, you have to... Ex- that's a, just a lot. It is. It's a lot. I, I, a lot you is have to even be tired. the word. You have I, to keep going after that exhaustion. That's insane. It's, it's, it's it exactly, you're exactly right. So Ashton reportedly came by to pick her up around 11 p.m. He rang the doorbell and no one answered, so he peeked in her window. He said he did notice a, a, a red stain on the carpet, but he just assumed it was red wine from a party that she had hosted a few days before that because he attended it. 
So he figured she's probably mad at him for being late, so he just left. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. So the next day, her roommate found her lying outside her bedroom in an obviously massive pool of blood. Investigating officers learned pretty quickly from friends and family that they were possibly looking for a Mike the Furnace guy. This is what he was known as among her friends. So mm. it was right around this time that the cold case division back in Cook County, Illinois, had reopened the Picaccio case. And after retesting the DNA, they started requesting samples from everyone involved in the investigation back in 93, and that included Michael. So detectives flew to L.A. in 2002 and coincidentally contacted the same LAPD detectives working on the LRN murder. And they found out they were both looking for the same guy. So, of course, they do find him eventually. His DNA matches the swab from underneath Trisha's fingernails. But Cook County State Attorney's Office did not indict Gargiulio because the DNA could have been exchanged casually. And even more disappointing, the LAPD had zero evidence tying him to Ashley's murder. So Michael walks. No charges are filed. So do they randomly contact the LAPD because they're looking for Michael? That's what it sounded like. Yeah, they flew out there, and they went, um, they knew that he was in L.A. County somewhere, and probably hmm. maybe had to take a step through their department to yeah, do Yeah, that's it what because, I was wondering. I was curious how that works. Yeah, you probably can't just go into another jurisdiction and find someone and demand DNA. Yeah. I would imagine you have to get permission, but I'm just making that up. <laughs> no, that's what I was wondering how, yeah. Yeah. Totally a side note, but I was trying to play that out in my head as well. It's, that sounded... The process. That sounded like a like a fact, so I thought I would we'll state it. it. <laughs> Seems logical. Yeah, right. Um, so Michael goes on to date another woman shortly after, who files a restraining order, eventually claiming that he punched her in the face and threatened to kill her. So his dating history is just as fantastic as you know you could imagine. So fast forward to 2005, he's living with another woman in El Monte, a sub uh, subdivision of East LA. So just across the courtyard lived 32-year-old Maria Bruno, a newly single mother of four. She had recently separated from her husband, and she moved into this new apartment supposedly because of the security that it provided. That's, that sucks. It sucks when your creeper's right next door instead of outside the community. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. I mean, you moving somewhere just specifically because you think you're safe, and you're not. Not 10 days after moving in, during the morning of December 1st, 2005, Gargiulio snuck in through her kitchen window and stabbed her to death in her sleep. He viciously attacked her, stabbing her repeatedly, slashing her throat. He even removed her breasts with his knife and placed one of her implants over her mouth. And that is how her ex found her the next day. She left behind two-year-old twins, a four- and a five-year-old. So, again, another insane, brutal, almost personal, but He's couldn't have been. anger towards women. Right? What's his mommy's story? I don't even know if he has a... I don't know if they even mention anything Maybe he got shot it. down a lot in high school. I don't know. But it sounds like he has, like... Definite rage issues. With women. Yes. Because you don't just do that. I mean, that, again, that's almost something... That seems personal. Well, and almost like you're beautiful and you think you're too good for me. I'm going to cut out your implant and shove it in your mouth. Like, mm-hmm. 
Could be right. Do you know what it, it, Yeah. It sounds like there's more to it. Yeah. I don't I wish I knew. I wish I had more information. I don't I don't know anything from his point of view. That's the only thing. I wish I had maybe found out if there was something else. But He sounds like a douchebag. He probably won't talk. Probably. And that's probably why I didn't see anything else on it. You're probably right. The only clue left at the, at the scene was a blue surgical booty outside the apartment with Bruno's blood on it. So again, the case goes cold. No charges are filed. This guy apparently seems normal enough to keep dating and moving in with all these women... Because not long after, he moves into Santa, moves to Santa Monica with a new love interest. Across the alley, however, from his new apartment, lived a cute, petite 27-year-old woman by the name of Michelle Murphy. Can you guess what his view was directly across the second-story apartment? Her bedroom. Yep, her bedroom. Knew it. Mm. But it, I just find it odd that he's moving in with these other women, and he's doing... It, it he just, has to be a sociopath, right? I mean, he, Where he of can, course. yeah. But wouldn't smooth you think, talker? Was he good looking? Do you have pictures of him? I need to look him up. We need to look him up. I didn't personally think he was good looking, but probably because I know all of this about him, it colors my, yeah, my, you know. But he must be a really good talker because he, he moves in with women left and right. Unless he just finds that type that is, I don't want to say weak, but or that want to fix everybody. Yeah, or. Maybe they're flattered because he wants to move in right away. I don't know. He might just find that type that's willing to... You're right. There is always a type that has a type that's shouldn't have that type. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because you end up dead. Yeah. So Michelle, she wakes up on the night of April 28th, 2008 to a man in a hoodie straddling her with one leg on the floor, stabbing her repeatedly with his left hand. Interesting to note here, I was wondering if this was something they could prove in the Picaccio case because of how he broke her arm and had to have stabbed her. I'm sure they could tell if the attacker was left-handed or, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. They don't ever say that in anything, but it's just something I was, was wondering. He broke her left arm? Mm-hmm. But I'm sure just the way that it would have been and then, like, the direction that the stab wounds would have been, they could probably tell. I don't know. But back then, when DNA wasn't being yeah. processed well, and who knows what happened to pictures. I mean, we've even seen with some of the cases that, that we've seen where they they only keep certain things and they don't keep others. They can't There's keep hardly, everything. They can't yeah. keep everything. Shockingly, though, at 5-1, Michelle put up one hell of a fight. Good for her. She is a badass. She grabbed for the knife with both hands, so obviously she's cutting her hands to grab this knife. She pulled up her legs and kicked him off of her, screaming, Why are you doing this? He turns around and runs for the door. But before leaving, she said he turns and says, I'm sorry. And then leaves through the door. Which is crazy. He apologized. And she, at 5'1", pushes off this martial arts, like, huge, rage-filled guy. That's crazy. That's crazy and awesome. Um, he probably just didn't expect the fight back. He, it's, it sounds like he attacked everybody when they were at their most vulnerable, where they weren't expecting, or they were sleeping. I mean, maybe not Ashley, but, I don't know. So, I don't know, that girl just had a lot of disadvantages, and I thought that was pretty amazing that she fought him off. And you can guess how the next part goes, I'm sure. During the attack and struggle, Michael had cut himself and left blood at the scene. So the detectives on the case were able to enter the DNA now into CODIS, because it's available, 
and match it to the Picaccio case in Illinois. So Michael Thomas Gargiulio was arrested June 2008 on attempted murder charges and held at $1.1 million in bail. And once his car is searched, um, they find, of course, the blue booties that, that he had for probably his repairman job. Um, later, they, they search his Santa Monica apartment, and guess what? They find the missing matching booty from the Bruno case. But I want to know more about that, because he didn't live there anymore. So how are they, where did they find this booty? Well, how do you have a missing booty? Because booties are like right or left. I think what they're saying is they only found one at the scene and then they found another one and it happened to have the same blood on it. So they considered them a pair. Gotcha. But just the fact that they, maybe he recently moved and so there was still trash. I don't know. But anyway, it didn't really say. Maybe he was a total D-bag and like never cleaned out his apartment or anything and left all of his garbage there when he moved out. Oh, you could be right. You could be right about Because he seems like the type that would just flee yeah. the scene. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. He probably didn't clean very well for the next uh, renters. Yeah. So now he's also charged with the murders of Ellerin and Bruno in September 2008. So fast forward again three years to July 2001. Cook County prosecutors finally feel they have sufficient evidence to indict him as well for Trisha's murder in 93. So now it's May 2019. He's been sitting in jail for over a decade awaiting trial. The defense team argues, um, well, they try to argue mental illness and claim that Michael has no recollection of the attacks and that he was in a fugue state. The state supplies a defense attorney and they have to do their best. But despite their efforts, he was found guilty of all charges in the fall of 2019 and recommended for the death penalty unanimously among mm-hmm. the jurors. Yeah. Take that. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and right, I get it. You have the right to an attorney and they have to do what they have to do, but some of the stuff that they were trying to go for was just a little out there, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. They probably could just couldn't make up anything else because... It was stacked against him. Yeah. Pretty good. There. They were just going to go mm-hmm. like all or nothing. We're going to pull this rabbit out of the hat. Yeah. Or not. Right? Uh, working with what you got, I guess. Um, but good for good for those jurors unanimously. Yep, he needed to go down. And I need to note here, too, that California Governor Newsom suspended the death penalty indefinitely earlier that year, so he would not get the death penalty for that. Um, Gargiulio's formal sentencing was set for February 2020, but has been delayed because the defense is trying to get a new trial. Yeah, they're still trying. Therefore, his extradition to Illinois for Trisha Picaccio's murder is yet to be scheduled, and as you can imagine, her family is more than ready for him to face justice after 27 long years. Does it say what their grounds for a new trial is? It does not. So, maybe they're still trying to go for insanity, or... I don't know. I'm not sure. I was just curious. No, it didn't say... Mm-mm. No, there's a train in the background too. Just a little uh, bit of everything. A little bit tonight. of train, some some unhappy children, dogs. <laughs> it's okay. Maybe you guys won't hear it because of my superior editing skills. <laughs> but if you do, just no. just uh, enjoy. <laughs> so let's see where was I? I was reading through. I was actually reading through some of the comments from the family, and I know that they're devastated and they need some sort of closure. Um, Diane, Trisha's mother, was clo- was quoted in saying, I'm angry. I'm very angry that all of this went on, and I'm angry that this has gone on for 26 years. Because at the time that they 
factor. It was 26 years. And I'm angry that Cook County knew that his DNA should never have been on my daughter. So at this point in my notes, I actually called my dad. I had some questions. Um, uh, and I know that on a few of his homicide cases that they knew full well who did it. So my dad was, I, I guess people probably don't know that I, my dad was a detective. So growing up, you know, I was kind of used to um, asking, asking a lot of questions on different things that were going on in the news and um, anything that I had read about to find out if that's really how it was done or what would the process be here or what are your thoughts. So um, it's pretty common for me to call him and ask him whenever, whenever I need to know something. Um, and he had said, yeah, for years on some of the cases, they knew who did it, but they didn't have the evidence to convict. And he said, it's, it's tough. You work hard. You keep searching for the one piece of the puzzle that will grant you the papers to go to trial, but it's not up to us as investigators to decide. And, and, you know, they know that the families get frustrated, um, but they have to have probable cause and they can't always share everything that they know or that they're working on. So it's really hard for the family to always understand what's going on behind the scenes. And I'm sure a lot of them think, what have you been doing and why isn't this, you know, mm -hmm. going any further? And he said, ultimately, it's up to the judge. If they don't say it's enough, we have to keep digging until we get that approval to move forward. Our hands are completely tied. And all people see are these investigations on TV. And after the next commercial, you know, 15 minutes later, they have what they need. They go to trial. The guy's convicted. And it's over. But it just doesn't work that way. And he said, you know, we, have, we may have a broken system, but this is the one we have to work with. And it does work for most. Um, you know, if you go to trial and you don't have enough to convict, that guy can walk right out of court, look at the camera and say, I did it. And you can't do a damn thing yeah, about it. That's the biggest thing is you only get one shot. You so only you get better one make shot. sure that. Yeah, Double Jeopardy. That was, I loved that movie. That was I know one. it didn't get great reviews, but come on. Yeah, I love it. I love Ashley concept. Judd and uh, Tommy Lee Jones together. So, yeah. I did just plug that movie. <laughs> You did. <laughs> I liked it, though. Um, so, yeah. And then you also have, you know, where people are convicted and put to death only to find out later, you know, oops, they were innocent. As terrible as these cases can be and, and as it looks, our system is in place to try to prevent that. So we do have to keep that in mind. It doesn't always work for everyone, and it can seem frustrating, but for most, it does work. We have room for improvement. Mm, we sure do. We sure do. And, you know, I really tried to find more information on the victims. Honestly, it wasn't easy. I didn't want to talk about the killer as much, but I, I did dig into his past a bit. He was born, I just feel like it's important to know, you had questions, and I wanted to kind of fill the, in yeah. the blanks. Um, he was born in 1976 in Glenview, Illinois, one of seven children. He claimed to have suffered psychological damage at the hands of his father and his siblings. He claimed he would. He had been locked in closets and tied up, made to watch his small pets tortured and killed with M80s, like wrapped up and mm. just, you know, your hamster, bye-bye. I mean, oh, that's just, that's awful. Um, but according to the LA Times that I read, this has never been corroborated. One friend who was interviewed by Chicago Magazine after he was arrested, Scott Olson, said this guy would go from normal to crazy in like a second. The switch would flip and he would just become almost inhuman, and that's a quote. So in the end, I found that I didn't really care how bad he said his upbringing was. It's just no excuse for the things he did. But I did want to note that that is what he claimed, that maybe that's 
why he was the no way siblings he was. or anything ever like came forward or I didn't see anything on parents, it. I mean, I didn't really dig into that portion of it either. Um, but I didn't see I didn't see anything on that. Well, you think if said, that one of his siblings showed mm-hmm. up to the trial, right? Then something would you be, would yeah you would so here no. someone no. on his behalf. But I mean, if if the accusations are true. How do we even help these kids at a young age, you know? How do we spot the signs and what can we do to intervene early so it doesn't happen, you know? I, I don't know. I don't know if I have the an- I don't have the answers. No. I... I think you can spot a troubled kid when you're a teacher or caregiver or, you know, even a parent. I think parents are even more likely to what was that what was that movie or not the movie the book they they're making it into a movie but the parents were kind of in denial and they were behind the kid and they they couldn't believe that he was committing oh, these crimes um, and defending Jacob or yeah, we need to it. talk about Kevin ooh both of them I'm thinking of I think yeah we need to talk about Kevin is amazing that's what you said i never did get around to reading i've it. never With seen all the my movie extra time <laughs> I just actually finished another really good book that I'll have to tell you about. But, no, yes, it's, we need to talk about Kevin. is just very much so where, well, a little bit different, where the mom always knew there was something wrong with the kid. He was just always off. She knew he had, like, an evil, mm-hmm. mean streak, and the dad just never could accept it. And That's got to be so hard as a parent, seeing it's that your child. It's a crazy, crazy story. Mm, I'm going to have to read it. I really am going to have to put that on my next. Yeah. And Defending Jacob is really good, too. So, I remember you telling me about it, and then I saw the preview. I know. I haven't. Is it on Netflix? Is that what it was on? I don't remember. I need to watch it. It was a really, really good book. I'd be curious to see if you thought the the movie matched up with, you know. It never does. The book's usually always better, but Mm -hmm. I can't wait to get your thoughts. Maybe we should watch it together. We should. In all our extra time. Mm Mm-hmm. In all of our extra time. We'll fit that into. Yeah, I know. I'm like, it's one time a week <laughs> to record for 45 minutes. But, you know, we'll put a movie and book time in there, too. We'll try, you know. Well, I did, I appreciated learning a lot more. Because, like I said, I think the only thing that I knew about this was the media highlights that fed off of the Ashton. Mm-hmm. I think link. that's what a lot of people remember. So, I, I don't think I realized that there was... A pre-murder? Yeah. Yeah. I don't that was I a surprise. That. Which is, well. I mean, I don't want to say cool, but crazy that it's in Cook County. And we actually spent some time, one of my best friends growing up, family lived in Glenview. Uh, so. So you know the area, yeah. Yeah. It's not so, too far from here. No. Well, and he's only three years older than me, anyways. <sighs> it's just crazy to me that he got away with all of this for so long. But maybe, again, it's because it was kind of that stranger on stranger. You know, he wasn't really especially close with anybody. Well, I'm, I'll am i be curious to hear how it happens and if he gets extradited to Illinois. Because it's almost at this point, if he gets, he's not getting out. Oh, no. I don't see that happening. So... I think we've talked about this before too where if you commit 
yeah. these types of crimes in multiple states and there's no way he's ever getting out. Are we going to spend the money? And the money and the resources to... And the resources to try him again, knowing that all it's going to do is add years on. I know. it's, And I know the, the laws are the laws, but I almost wish it could be tried together. I, I know you can't do that, but just to give all the families justice and... This is it, because I would hate to to see, I would hate if her family never felt that they got the justice that they deserved, and, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, knowing that he's caught and he's not going to be able to do that again, and that he's going away, hopefully that gives them a little peace for now, but it's not, it's never going to bring her back. No, I don't know if I I was, I was her family, if I would be okay with that. It's hard to say how you would feel in any given situation like this. It's just so hard, but... I can imagine that I would be, I wouldn't be okay with it either. No. No. I don't want to drag his ass back here. And yes, and have your daughter's voice be heard mm-hmm. and her name so yeah. everyone could know. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that's, because you're just blinded by that anger and rage and sadness. You can't apply the logic. So sad. Well, I mean, I think this is a good, one of those, also those stories where it's a learning lesson, and I wish we could tell our kids, but not quite yet, because they're a little too young for this type of story. Yeah, no ID special on this one, kids. <laughs> no, 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 But I, thank you. Thank you for that story. Yeah, and that well, wraps I'm up glad. Neighbors. It does. It wraps up Neighbors. I'm excited to get, you know, get into our Halloween. Spooky time's coming. Spooky time. I'm getting ready to decorate, and I cannot. Hopefully Halloween happens, but that's another story. <gasps> no, we'll have to we'll have to find out if there's an alternative way to do Halloween this year. We got to figure something out because the kids are so excited, and I'm I'm not gonna lie, I I'm I'm excited because you it's know we can't skip Halloween. It's on Saturday. I think all the holidays this year are on a Saturday, aren't they? I don't know. I thought I heard that. It made me really sad because we wait like we wait for that to happen. Yeah. And, but, and then 2020 happens. Yeah. And then everything is ruined. Yeah. Anyhow. Yep. Until next time. Until next time. What are the takeaways? I would say... Don't invite your AC man to a party. <laughs> yes. Don't do that. Don't be naive. Don't, uh... Yeah, don't, don't be trusting. Not everyone's a nice guy. I used to think everyone's a nice guy. And luckily, everyone was... But nice I crossed guy. paths, but yeah, I was a nice guy, but oh, what did they say? I read something yesterday that they said, like, we, 4,000 serial killers, like, walk among us today. I don't know where that even specific fact came from, but I read that the other day on, like, a, I think it was, I think it was Instagram, so, you know, if it was Instagram, it was probably true. <laughs> it's like Wikipedia. <laughs> right. All right. facts. So, yeah, so, be safe. Uh, start your Halloween planning now because you, you you might need some time and we look forward to telling you some spooky stories yeah and if you have any please send them in we'd love to hear from you bye 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 bye